Well, I want to share this morning uh, something around the theme. Are we coming up on this way? Here we are. How many of you saw that yesterday? Oh, good. We've got a few royalists here. So you watched that wonderful moment. Yesterday was a very significant moment in the history of this nation as King Charles III was officially crowned as our monarch. He was the 40th, those of you who love history, I'm just going to give you a bit of history, particularly for Rebecca's interest, but he was the 40th monarch to be crowned in Westminster Abbey since William the Conqueror was crowned on Christmas Day, 1066. So that was an interesting Christmas present, wasn't it? Um, and our nation has a great history of monarchs going back to 827. The first English monarch was a guy by the name of King Egbert of Wessex. It's a great name, King Egbert. None of you were around when he reigned, but he was the first king of England. Since then, there have been 69 rulers of England and Britain, and Queen Elizabeth, who's just recently passed away, our former queen, she holds the record for the longest reigning British monarch of 70 years and 214 days. Pretty great achievement, isn't it? The shortest reign of an English monarch was somebody called Lady Jane Grey, who reigned for nine days. It's a bit of a short one, wasn't it? She tried unsuccessfully to prevent the Catholic Mary Tudor from becoming queen in 1554. And she was accused of high treason and held in the Tower of London. On the 12th of February, that same year, she was executed on Tower Green at the age of 17. So being a monarch is not always as glamorous as it might seem. But it's great that we have prayed for King Charles today and we need to continue to pray for God to give him wisdom and his blessing as he takes on this very significant role. If you watched the coronation yesterday, well, you will have witnessed something that was very unique with the long history of our British monarchs as well as something that invokes the presence, the blessing and the goodness of God to be upon the king and his reign. But, of course, there were some significant moments in the service. Um, it began with the anthem from the Psalms, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Did you capture that? Do you know that's been sung at every coronation in some form or another? The whole service was steeped in a reverence for God and for his presence and blessing to be there. I loved it when Rishi Sunak, our Prime Minister, who is a Hindu, read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 11 to 17, a brilliant passage, and he read it with conviction as if he believed it. So we've got to pray for him. Janice said we need to pray for him that what he read will really become a reality in his life. And then the king said, I come not to be served, but to serve. And he was welcomed by, uh, to the King of Kings from that young boy. Justin Welby, in his short message, he reminded us that Jesus had a throne, which was his cross. He also said Jesus had a crown that was made of thorns. And that the regalia that Jesus wore were 
his wounds. What a wonderful statement. Just celebrating that there is only one king who is above all other kings. And Jesus was central to the whole of that service. So I thought it was really very well done. But I want us to consider something this morning in the light of what we have witnessed yesterday. Um, that there is only one king of all kings, and we know that to be Jesus. We sung about him this morning. We've been reminded of that fact in different ways this morning. So I want to share with you concerning the crowning of a king. And we had read to us by Leah just a little while ago that on the robe of Jesus, that wonderful revelatory picture in the last book of the Bible, he has a name which says he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's our theme this morning. That's where we're going to go together. So in thinking about the coronation, what did the coronation do for our king yesterday? Let's see what it did and how it relates to our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, well, the first thing was that the coronation affirms the king. We know that Charles immediately became king the moment his mother breathed her last breath. He was sworn in as the king immediately afterwards. It seemed a bit harsh. Poor guy didn't even have a chance to mourn the passing of his mother. But that's how things go. That the monarchy never ceases to reign from one monarch to the next. It's instantly passed on. But of course, yesterday was all about the public affirmation of King Charles III. It was the official commencement, if you like, of his reign. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, we read of the commencement of the public ministry of Jesus. It is marked by his baptism. And if you know the scripture in Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes to John the Baptist and says, John, I need to be baptized. And John says, no, it should be the other way around. You ought to be baptizing me. But the interesting thing is that Jesus never asks us to do anything that he doesn't do himself. He said, you need to lay down your life for your friends. And Jesus laid down his life for each and every one of us. And so Jesus is baptized by John as an example to each and every one of us that if we are true followers of Jesus Christ, then we need to make that public declaration. We need to publicly affirm our allegiance to him through being baptized. And we had a baptismal service here just a couple of weeks ago. But as Jesus comes up out of the water, God speaks. God affirms him by saying, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Here was God affirming Jesus, literally saying, I'm really pleased with you. Just as a proud father would affirm his son or daughter over some achievement, so God is affirming his son in that moment at the beginning of his public ministry. The interesting thing is here that God's affirmation, God's approval of Jesus comes before he'd done anything. He hadn't performed a miracle. He hadn't taught, he hadn't preached, he hadn't even gone to the cross. You could understand God saying after Jesus had died on the cross, well done my good and faithful son. But here God is saying it before Jesus had done a thing. He affirms him. He approves of him. 
He says, you are my good and faithful son whom I love. All of us have times of failure in our lives. King Charles has had some big failures in his life. It's on public record. We don't have a king with the lifelong integrity and dignity that his mother carried throughout her time. But nevertheless, we have to pray for God's blessing and grace to be upon our king for however long he may reign over us. And I believe he's learned from past mistakes, and I believe he has a deep and sincere faith in God and the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're all failures. None of us are perfect. The Bible makes it clear when it says, for everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of the standard that God expects of each and every one of us. You know, some children grow up feeling a deep sense of failure because they never measured up to their parents' expectations. I've heard children say, I was a mistake. My parents never planned to have me. And they live with that belief, I shouldn't be here, I'm a mistake. Or, or they live with the sense that they've never quite measured up. I remember hearing a story of a little lad one day, he got the results of a county music exam and he came rushing home, Mum, Dad, I've got my result, I came second in the county in my music exam. And his dad looked up from his newspaper and he said, Son, won't you ever come first? And that little boy grew up and he became the CEO of a big company with many staff under him, but all the time throughout his life, even in the pinnacle of success, he was still trying to prove himself to his dad because he never felt he was good enough. Failure is like a crippling disease. If it lives with you, it can ultimately destroy you. But we need to learn and be reminded this morning of this important lesson that God's approval and affirmation has nothing to do with our performance. God loves us unconditionally. We don't have to do anything to earn his love. We don't have to do anything to merit his favor. He literally says, you are my son, you are my daughter, I love you, I am well pleased with you. If you're beating yourself up today because you failed in some way, I want to remind you God doesn't beat you up. He affirms you and he accepts you in Jesus. This is what the Bible says about Jesus. And Rishi Sunak read part of this yesterday. It says that Christ is exactly like God, who cannot be seen. He is the firstborn son, superior in all creation. Everything was created by him and everything in heaven on earth, everything seen and unseen, including all forces and powers and all rulers and authority, all things were created by God's Son. And everything was made for him. God's Son was before all else and by him everything is held together. He is the head of his body, which is the church. He is the very beginning, the first to be raised from death so that he would be above all others. God himself was pleased to live fully in his son. And it goes on. And God was pleased for him to make peace by sacrificing his blood on the cross. 
so that all beings in heaven and on earth would be brought back to God. You used to be far from God. Your, th you th your thoughts made you enemies and you did evil things. But his son became a human and died. So God made peace with you. Now he lets you stand in his presence as people who are holy and faultless and innocent. Isn't that beautiful? God affirms you this morning. God accepts you fully this morning because of all that Jesus has done. You see, the cross was God's personal approval of you and me. And despite your past failures, God looks at you through Jesus and says, with you, I am well pleased. A lot of people suffer with identity crisis today because they've never really been affirmed or approved in their lives. My granddaughter, Jessie, that's Andrew and Claire's daughter, she wrote something which I thought was really brilliant a number of years ago. It simply says, numbers do not define me. I know I've read it before, but some of you won't have heard it. And this is what she wrote. I'm not defined by the number in my clothes or the number that appears when I stand on the scales. I'm not defined by the number I get on a test or the number that appears on a scorecard. I'm not defined by the number of likes, comments or followers I get, the number in my bank account or the number that appears on my bills. I am not defined by the number of things I own, how many clothes I have or the places I've been. I'm not defined by the number of friends in my life or the number of people I meet in a day. I'm not defined by the number of compliments I receive or by the number of put-downs that I face. No, a number cannot define who I am or give me a, an identity. I am defined by the one who made me, the one who breathed life into my very being, who formed me in my mother's womb and knitted me together, my innermost parts, who believed in me enough to die for me, who treasures me enough to find me, who holds my head above the waves, who walks before, behind me, and beside me. I am defined by a radical love. I am defined by words of life spoken over me by this love. I am defined by the hope of this love. I am defined by a love who calls me beautiful one, precious child. I am defined by a love, someone I call Father, numbers do not define me. God does. And just as our King was affirmed yesterday as our monarch, so I want to remind you this morning that God affirms you. He says, you are my son, my daughter, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. But something else that happened in the coronation was that the coronation, of course, crowns the king. It is suggested that the St. Edward's crown, with which King Charles was crowned yesterday, is worth some 2.5 million pounds. Fancy having that on your head. Two and a half million pounds worth resting on your head. Apparently, it weighs about five pounds, 2.3 kilos, or two bags of sugar. 
And he wore it for a long time, but it's guaranteed to give you neck ache. I'm really sure about that. But the crown is always symbolic. It, it symbolizes royalty. When kings or queens wear crowns, it speaks of their royalty. It speaks of victory. It speaks of wealth. It speaks of power. It speaks of strength. It speaks of dominance. But also it can symbolize divine authority, wisdom, and glory. But did you know that the Bible speaks of crowns that you and I will be given? Because the Bible speaks about a crown of righteousness. The Apostle Paul, when he got near to the end of his life, he says, I'm looking forward to that moment when I will receive a crown of righteousness. You can look forward to that. The Bible also talks about a crown of life. Those who endure testing and trial and come through still trusting in Jesus, James says, you will get a crown of life. And the Bible also talks about a crown of glory. Those who await looking for the return of Jesus, when we meet him, we will receive a crown of glory. Wow. But there are also metaphorical crowns that are mentioned in the Bible. Here's a few. Okay. God redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. Isn't that beautiful? Psalm 103. And then also it says in Proverbs, gray hair is a crown of splendor. How many gray heads we got here? Got a few of you? Yeah, a crown of splendor. Sanjay's working on it. It's, it's coming. What about that? Here's another one. Blessings crown the head of the righteous. If you live a right life, if you live a life according to God's word, if you live a life that pleases God, you will be blessed. That is guaranteed. And it will be like a crown, a blessing upon you. Here's another one. I love this. A noble, a wife of noble character is a crown to her husband. How many husbands here have got noble wives? Some of you husbands are getting nudged, are you? Terry's got two wives. He's put two hands up. <laughs> wives, you crown your husbands. Isn't that a lovely thought? A wife who is noble, who is good, who is honest, who's got a godly character. She crowns her husband. What a beautiful thought that is. Guys, you should be proud to have a wife like that. Yes. Here's another one. Grandchildren are a crown to the aged or to the grandparents. Haven't you seen Sanjay and Mary just beaming recently since they became grandparents? They're, they're besotted with William. Our grandkids are a crown to us. Isn't that a lovely thought? So make sure you look after them. Enjoy your crown. And then there's a, a, another lovely promise in Isaiah 61. Through Jesus, God bestows upon those who grieve a crown of beauty instead of ashes. In Old Testament times, when you went into a time of grieving, you put ash on your head. That was a sign that you were in mourning. 
And the writer takes that and says, if you're grieving, if you're broken up, if you feel that in some way you have lost, God will be your crown. He will be your beauty. He will restore what the enemy has taken. Whatever your grief is, God is for you and will bless you far more. What a beautiful thought. So the coronation, of course, crowns the king, and there are crowns that you and I can enjoy that the Bible speaks of. But most importantly, the Bible declares that on the head of Jesus, he has many crowns. Revelation 19, 12, which Leah said, that's literally many diadems. In other words, Jesus is worthy of every crown there is because he is the king of kings. He has unlimited authority. And the Bible is unequivocal about the kingship of Jesus and his right to be crowned. This is what it says in the scriptures. Jesus Christ, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. The writer there was a bit excited, I think, Paul, as he wrote, the, oh, the writer in the Revelation, John. Look about this. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. And then another one, at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. What a great statement. Although Jesus wore a crown of thorns on the cross, he is now crowned with glory and he lives and he reigns forever. And the Bible says that he has an everlasting kingdom. And his rule will never, ever end. There was an old preacher, who, a Dr. S.M. Lockridge, who was one day preaching and he got so excited about the kingship of Jesus. I thought it was worth seeing this morning. You might have seen it before, but just watch the screen. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong.
charges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Isn't that inspiring? That's your King, Jesus. That's our King that we serve, who lives and reigns forever, who is crowned with many crowns, and he will never, ever be dethroned. So the coronation affirms the King. The coronation crowns the King. But just to end with this morning, the coronation empowers the King. A powerless King is a useless King. The coronation empowers the king to reign. King Charles III may have limited authority, but nevertheless, he is the head of state over 15 nations and he reigns as their sovereign. After the resurrection of Jesus, when he was about to return to heaven, he met with his disciples and he gave them this instruction. He said, go to people of all nations and make them my disciples. We call that the Great Commission. But before he said that, he preempted it with these words. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. After his resurrection, the authority of Jesus was restated when the Bible reminds us of the way he paid the price for our sins. Paul tells us that God elevated Jesus to the highest place of honor and gave him a name that's above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's why he has all authority. That's why he reigns over all, because God exalted him to the highest place there is. The Bible tells us, that he will reign forever. 
He will reign. That's the power that Jesus has. The Bible tells us that the Lord reigns as king forever. And the Bible also reminds us in Revelation 11 that the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. There are some great parallels we can take from what happened yesterday for King Charles III. But those parallels we should take just to encourage us in our faith and to exalt Jesus and to realize that we serve a victorious and glorious king. Paul Woolley is the CEO of the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity and he wrote something this week that I was quite inspired with and I thought I'd just end with it this morning. And this is what he said about commenting on the forthcoming coronation as he was then writing it. We might not be a king or queen or even support the idea of the monarchy in a modern democracy. But the coronation gives us an opportunity to reflect on our own relationship with God. Firstly, before God, we stand alone and are divested of all worldly goods. We play to an audience of one. We're ultimately accountable to God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, not to the world's media, a nation, a boss, customers, or shareholders. He says, secondly, all disciples of Jesus are anointed by God, sealed with the Holy Spirit for a task to make the invisible God visible by what we do and the way we do it to show the world there is a better way of being human, and that looks like Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords.